I want to start by thanking Pastor Antonia for preaching last week. Wasn't she wonderful? What a wonderful preaching and teaching that she provided for us in wrapping up our summer series from the life of David. You never would have known it was her first time doing that. Isn't it incredible? Incredible. If only we were all as good at that at the first time we did things. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, I'm born and raised in upstate New York, but for a short season of my life, my, I lived in Springfield, Missouri when I was young. And when I was in Springfield, the local high school uh, was doing their spring production, and the play that they were doing that year was The King and I. You're probably familiar with The King and I. It's a story based on a British school teacher who goes to tutor the children, the many children of the King of Siam. And of course, hilarity and romance uh, ensues. And as they were trying to pull off that play, they were looking for little children in the community who could play the role of the children of the King of Siam. And they were especially looking for children that looked like me and my sister. <laughs> Springfield, Missouri is more diverse now than it used to be, but back then in 1984, it was not a diverse community at all. So I think they found four kids that actually were Asian, and the rest of them they just kind of went with. And I remember being a part of this play, and I actually have a picture, it's not the greatest picture, but uh, there I am with my sister and some of the actors in the play, the king and I, actually looking a little closer, you can get a little better picture of us. Um, yeah, I was so excited to be a part of this play. I don't know if you guys have heard, there's, there's this new technology where if you zoom in close enough, you can not just see who the person is, but you can actually see who they think they are. There I am. <laughs> That's who I thought I was. That's who, if you grew up in the 80s, this was your hero. This is who I wanted to be. And dressed in my white little gi there, I thought that I was Daniel LaRusso from Karate Kid. But if you've watched the play, one of the uh, famous songs... Even if you haven't seen the play, you probably know this song is Getting to Know You, Getting to Know All About You. And there's this whole scene where the school teacher would dance around, and I got to grab her hand, and the kids were running around in a long circle. It was a, it was a lot of fun. You know, if you really want to get to know someone, the best thing to do is to listen to them, right? To talk to them. Instead of hearing what other people say about that person, hear what they have to say about themselves, and that's what we're going to do for the next seven weeks. We're going to listen to and consider what Jesus said about himself. Who did he think he was? And this series is called I Am. And in the Gospels, there's seven I Am statements. And this morning, we're actually going to start at the end. We're going to look at the last of the seven that he gives. This is in John chapter 15. This is the night on which he's going to be betrayed. Just hours before he goes to the cross, in, in a private room to a small audience of his disciples, he makes this statement, I am the true vine. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So let's look together in John 15. I'm reading verses 1 through 11 from the ESV. Jesus said this, he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Six times in this short passage, Jesus talks about bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And so this morning, to make sense of this discourse from Jesus, we're going to frame our talk with three thoughts. Number one, what's the importance of bearing fruit? Number two, we're going to talk about the pain, the pain in bearing fruit. And then lastly, the secret to bearing fruit. The importance, the pain, and the secret. Let's talk first about the importance of bearing fruit. In verse 8, he said, By this my Father is glorified, so that you bear much fruit. And in bearing much fruit, what do you do? You prove to be my disciples. The fruit that you and I bear proves out whether or not we are disciples of Jesus Christ. So this fruit is important. The importance of fruit is really expressed in two ways. And the first way is this. The importance of bearing fruit is seen in, we'll go to the next slide, the evidence of the life within us. Fruit is evidence of the light. I know this is the time of year that, that uh, in upstate New York we go to the apple orchards, right? And we, we go to Beacon Skiff or, or, or wherever you like to go and we pick apples. And, and I'm okay with it. Like a couple years ago when I was out in the fields picking apples, all of a sudden this thought occurred to me. I'm paying them to work their fields. Like what kind of a, what kind of a brilliant scam is this? And so last year when we went, uh, uh, inst- my, my number one priority when I go to Beacon Skiff is not to pick apples. My number one priority is to get the apple fritters. And if, you know what I, if you've had an apple fritter there, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't had one there, it's better than whatever you're thinking about. And I think apple fritters, that's what happens like when an apple dies and is resurrected and receives its glorified body and is in the presence of God. That becomes an apple fritter. The delicious, delicious little things. And um, last year, the line for apple fritters was so long, I told Aaron, I was like, I'm going to get in this line. You guys go pick apples. And I'll just wait here. And, I, and sure enough, it took me a long time. But basically, the exact same time that my fritters were ready, they came back with their apples. I know we like to pick apples. It's sort of like a fun outdoor activity. We're not doing it this year. And one of the reasons we're not doing it is because we have an apple tree in our own front yard. This is the apple tree in our front yard where we live. And uh, this year, for whatever reason, is just blooming. And there's a ton of apples. We spent a long time the other night trying to pick all the apples off of this tree. And we've been trying to figure out what kind of apples are these. You know, it doesn't come with a sign or information. And so we went online and we looked, and we haven't narrowed down to two types of apples. It's either Empire or Cortland. And they're actually very similar tasting apples. They're both a little bit tart, but good, good for baking and okay for eating. But one conversation we never had is, what kind of tree is this, generally speaking? We'd never debated, is this a cherry tree? Is this a banana tree? Why? Because we saw the fruit. We knew this is an apple tree because there's apples growing on it. See, the evidence of the life within us, your fruit proves, in a sense, this is what Jesus is saying, the fruit you bear proves what kind of tree you are, or more specifically in this metaphor, which vine you are connected to. So when Jesus said, I am the true vine and you are the branches, uh, one way for us to think of that is that he is the main trunk of the tree and we are the branches growing off of it. 
And you will not see a branch growing off an apple tree that all of a sudden starts producing bananas or starts producing cherries. Whatever you're connected to is what you produce. The fruit of our lives proves who we are. It's not what we say, ultimately. It's what we do. It's how we live our lives. And Jesus said, it proves that you are my disciple. The fruit of good works. But also, in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul gives us this whole list that we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And one of the things that we can do regularly if you're a disciple of Jesus is ask yourself, am I bearing that fruit in my life? Am I growing in gentleness? Am I more patient than I was a year ago? Is there more evidence of the joy of the Lord at work in my life now than in the past? And it's this filter, it's sort of this metric by which we can ask ourselves, are we bearing the fruit that gives evidence that there is life within us? But the second thing that makes the fruit important is it's not just evidence of the life within us, it's evidence to the lives around us. The fruit of the Spirit and the fruit that we bear is evidence to people around us that there's something that's changed inside of us. Now, if you're part of this church for very long, you're going to know very clearly that we are not saved by good works, right? We cannot work our way into heaven. We cannot earn salvation. It's a gift of God. It's free. It's the grace of God given by the mercy of God received by faith in Jesus Christ. So while you cannot be saved by good works, it's also true that we have been saved for good works. And that the Father has good works for every single one of us to do. Before you were even born, God knew from the foundations of the earth the good works that he had for you to do today. The good works that he had for you to do this week. And the fruit that we bear is not just simply the evidence of what's going on inside of us. It's evidence to a world around us that more than ever possibly needs Christians to bear fruit. Desperately need us to bear fruit. Fruit that lasts fruit that blesses, and fruit that strengthens others. Martin Luther said that God may not need your good works, but your neighbor does. Your neighbor does. And there's people in our community, yesterday we received a message from a lady who, without going into details, she's looking for help, and the, the type of help she's looking for, she said on the message, normally would be provided by a family member or a friend, but she said, I have neither. I just want you to know that there's people like that all over our community who don't have family, who don't have friends, who are isolated. And what they need for us to do is to bear fruit, is to be present, is to love, is to care, is to show up. As the people of God in this time, we need to be known more for what we are for than what we are against. Sometimes Christians are known more for the things that they stand against than things that they are for. You know what we are for? We're for the kingdom of God becoming manifest right here. We're for love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit. We're for reconciliation. We are for the flourishing of our communities, for the good and the welfare of our city. These are the things that Christians are for, for healthy, robust relationships. This is what we're for. And our world needs this now more than ever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul is raising money for the church in Jerusalem that's just gone through a famine. And he's writing letters to the churches in Asia Minor, including the church in Corinth. And he's asking them to give. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, he says something very interesting. I'm not, I'm not going to read it exactly to you, but he says this. He says, your giving, your generosity, the fruit that you bear, it will do two things. Number one, it will meet their needs, but also it will cause them to give thanks 
to God. The fruit we bear, the way in which we serve our community, and we do lots of things to serve our community. Just this past week, we brought donuts and drinks to teachers over at Sewer Road Elementary to bless them and encourage them. We do things for many schools in this community. We do these things. Why? Because we want to meet needs, but also we're praying, God, would you use this to cause them to look to you, right? The ways that we're looking to fill stomachs, but also to fill hearts, to cause them to give thanks to God. One of the things that's always true about the vine, about any tree, is that the vine bears fruit not for itself, but for others. You never see an apple tree (laughs) eating an apple. It's always for someone else. And every fruit that that exists, within every fruit is the seed for more fruits. That's the power of the fruit that we bear, that it has a multiplying exponential impact wherever we're willing to and able to bear fruit. I was talking with somebody recently, not in our church family, who goes to a church somewhere, but has, for a lot of reasons, is disconnected during this season. And she was saying to me, yeah, I'm not not going anymore. I'm disconnected. I'm not showing up. But I will tell you this, Pastor, this has been a really fruitful season in my life. That's what she said to me, a really fruitful season. And I I don't know her well enough. She's not in my church family, so I not really have a pastor relationship with her. But I walked away thinking, Anytime we think we're in a fruitful season and we're not serving other people and strengthening other people, we're lying to ourselves. Fruitfulness, listen, fruitfulness is not just about your personal devotional life. Fruitfulness is not about how close you feel to God because we can lie to ourselves. Fruitfulness is not about you feeling like I'm getting my God time so I don't need other people and I can be disconnected and isolated and it doesn't matter. If what's happening in you isn't helping people around you, then it isn't the fruit that Jesus is describing in John 15. Does that make sense? If what's happening in you is not serving and strengthening people around you, then it might not be fruit. It might just be all about you. Fruit is never for the vine. It's always for others. And that's the importance of bearing fruit. Secondly, the pain in bearing fruit. Jesus said in verse 1, let's go back to it real quick. I am the true vine, and my Father, speaking of, of course, God the Father, is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, here's the word, he prunes, for what purpose? That it may bear more fruits. God the Father is pruning us so that we might bear more fruits. And you know what that means? It means that bearing fruit is painful. I'm not an expert on, you know, gardens, and I don't do any of that, probably because I don't eat a lot of vegetables. Like, if you could grow meat out of the ground, I would be an expert. But because it's vegetables, I'm not an expert. But some of you, I see on your Instagram or your Facebook accounts, you have beautiful gardens. And I, and I know enough to know that there's times, whether it's a tree, whether it's a fruit, whether it's a plant, whatever it is, there's times that you have to prune, right? You have to cut back. Why do you cut back, though? Because you're trying to destroy the produce? Because you're trying to destroy the tree? No, because you're, you're trying to create more growth. But from the perspective of the tree or the plant, I'm sure that the pruning seems confusing, causes them to question the goodness of the gardener, painful. God disciplines us at times and leads us into seasons where he's pruning us. But this is what we know from Scripture. Number one, if God's disciplining you, it's a good thing because it means he loves you. God disciplines those he loves, and he always disciplines us for our growth. You know, as a parent to three girls, there's many times where I'll say to them, I love you too much to not say something about this. It's because your mom and I care about you that we want you to do X, Y, and Z. And if you're a parent, you've ever been a parent, you understand what that's like. You speak words of truth, hard words of truth to people that you love the most. And it's the pain in bearing fruit. It's the pain of pruning. 
in the C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, in the book The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, we're introduced to a young boy named Eustace Scrub. You can just tell from his name, he's a little bit of a punk. Eustace Scrub, he's a selfish, immature boy, and he ends up in Narnia, and he's got such a heart for like the wrong things that he ends up in a dragon cave, and in that dragon cave, he's going after treasure, but when he wakes up, he realizes that he himself has turned into a dragon. It's showing us that the things that we pursue determine who we become. And he's trying to get his scales, his dragon scales off of him with his dragon claws, but he can't dig deep enough. He can't fix himself. He can't save himself. And Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure, shows up. And I want you to hear what Eustace describes what happens when Aslan shows up. This is what the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke. You will have to let me undress you. In other words, pull all the scales off you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and I let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure, pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. This is a, a, a really an image of what God does sometimes in our lives when he peels things off of us. Maybe it's armor that we've put around our hearts to protect ourselves. Maybe it's lies that we've told ourselves. Maybe it's an identity that we've claimed that isn't from God. And God comes in, and although there is a painful pulling away, peeling away process, if we surrender to it, we'll find that the thing that gets us through it is the freedom that we find and uh, those things being taken off of us. If there's no pain, there's no growth. If there's no pruning, there's no fruit. And if you're going to ask God, say, God, would you grow me? Here's what you're asking him to do at the same time. Would you prune me? Would you prune me? There is pain in bearing fruit. And then lastly, the last thing we learned from this text this morning is the secret, the secret to bearing fruit. Just Let's, let's look at verse 5 one more time. Jesus said, I am the vine. Verse 1, he calls himself the true vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and abide is the other really key word in this text. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And this is so gripping, this last phrase. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The secret to bearing fruit, and it's not a secret because Jesus says it very clearly here, the secret is abiding. We have to abide in Christ. But Jesus calls himself the true vine. And there's a lot of different opinions on what he means and why he said that. In the Old Testament, Israel, the nation of Israel is often referenced with the metaphor of a vineyard. And God talks about how he's planted this vineyard and he delights in this vineyard. But in many ways, the the vineyard that Israel was supposed to be in the Old Testament of a conduit of blessing to the nations, it never fully realized that they had had seasons where they were better at it than the others. But when the Old Testament ends, uh, they're in exile, they're back in, some of them are back in Jerusalem, but it's not the same. And and the, the story sort of ends and the vineyard's not doing really what it should be doing. And so some commentators say that when Jesus said, I'm the true vine, he's saying, I'm gonna get it right. Everywhere that Israel got it wrong, I'm here to get it right. I'm the true and greater, I'm the better Israel, and I'm gonna fulfill the covenant that they were unable to fulfill. And that's probably all true. But the other thing that when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, it also implies what? That there are counterfeit vines, right? That there are false vines. And I think what we would all agree to is that every person has sort of attached themselves as a branch to some sort of vine, right? 
Everyone's attached their life to something, and they're trying to draw from that thing, whether it's success or wealth or pleasure or influence or power. They're trying to draw from it life. They're trying to draw from it strength and stability. But Jesus is saying, all those things you can, you know, there's all these things you can pursue and go after without me. But if you're going to bear fruit that lasts and that makes a difference, if your life is really going to make a difference, not just now, but into eternity, you have to abide in me. How many of you have learned you cannot manufacture growth, spiritual growth, in your own strength, in your own power? It's like taping fruit to a dying tree. It won't work. You know, we try so hard to do this. And Jesus is saying, it's not trying, it's trusting. It's resting and abiding. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing lasting. You can do nothing eternal. So if you're here this morning, you say, I want my life to make a difference. If you're watching online, like, I want my life to matter, not just now, but into eternity, then we have to abide and remain in the love of Jesus. Rest in him. Now, let me just say one final thing about this word abide, and we're going to close. The, the, the Greek word, the Greek verb abide, is actually taken from a Hebrew noun, which meant dwelling place. The place in which somebody would dwell. And really what it, what it really represented was your home. You guys know there's no place like home, right? Where you can just sort of let your guard down and relax. And so when Jesus said, you have to abide in me, all the Jewish listeners' memories, minds, would have, vocabulary immediately would have brought them back to this idea of there's a dwelling place. There's a place for us to rest. There's a place that we can call our home. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you'll find your home in me now, I'll be your home forever. I'll be your dwelling place forever. And Jesus himself came and dwelt amongst us. And came, the word became flesh, and he dwelt amongst us. And so in him we find hope, not just to bear fruit now, but listen, how many of you want to bear fruit that lasts into eternity, that makes a difference in other people's eternities? This past Friday, we, as a nation, stopped, and we remembered the terrible events in 2001, September 11th, 2001. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to get down to Manhattan since that happened, and to see the 9-11 memorial, it's, it's breathtaking. I've been there several times. And here's a, here's a close-up picture of uh, what, it, what one part of it looks like. And they've created these large square holes in the ground that represent exactly where those towers once stood. And there's this waterfall inside it, and you can't see the bottom of it. It's beautifully constructed. And along the outside of the two structures is the name of every person who lost their life. 2,983 names who lost their life that day. There's also six names on there who, who died in the World Trade Bombing Center many years earlier. I was listening to a podcast this week and um, Malcolm Gladwell was talking about how these names got arranged. Because they're not in alphabetical order. Which if you're an organized person, that would drive you crazy. You're like, hold on, how am I supposed to find somebody? They're not in alphabetical order. What they did was the first thing they did is they put them together based on what floor they worked on or, um, in the case of first responders, uh, where, who they worked with. That's the first way they grouped them. But then that wasn't enough. Somebody spent over two years investigating every person's life to learn who were they friends with, who did they, have, who did they take their coffee break with during the workday, who did they spend the most time with, and then they created this, and they basically grouped people by friendship. 
You know what I loved about that? It's, it's this beautiful, haunting truth, but it, it applies to us this morning. Is that who they, who they were abiding with in life is who they'll be with forever on this memorial. And if you and I will abide in Christ now, we will abide in Christ forever. He'll be our home. And what we'll do is here and now we'll bear much fruit, blessing many people. But someday you'll look around eternity and you'll go, that's fruit that God helped me bear. That person's life, the reason they're here is because of the fruit that God gave me to bear. And it's his work. He's the true vine. We are the branches. If we abide in him, we can bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. Let's pray together. God, I ask this morning for my friends and for myself that you would teach us to make you our dwelling place just like your spirit has made us his dwelling place. Teach us to rest in you, to find our home in you. Forgive us for trying to rest in other things, our accomplishments, our achievements, the other things that we adore, the other things that we pursue, the other things that we give our mind's attention and our heart's affection to. Forgive us, God. When we abide in those things, nothing we do lasts. Nothing we do matters. But when we abide in You through prayer, through the Word, through gathering with other believers, through meditating upon Your truth, through sensing the nearness of Your presence in every moment of our day, You'll help us to bear fruit. It'll be good fruit. It'll be multiplying fruit. And the nations will be blessed. We thank you, God. Bless your name.